between the time when the oceans drank Atlantis and the rise of the sons of Arius, there was an age undreamed of. And unto this mass movement, destined to bear the jeweled crown of geekdom upon its troubled brow, it is we, mass movement's chroniclers, who alone can tell thee of its saga. Let us tell you of the days of geek adventure. Welcome to episode 6 of Geekorama. Uh, I know it hasn't been all that long, but we've got a lot to cover because a lot has happened and a lot of new books have come in and they're all great. Okay, so let's start off with Stone Star, which is um, volume 1 of Jim Zub's and uh, Max Dunbar's creator of book. Uh, it's called Fight or Flight, the first volume. It's about an intergalactic nomadic gladiatorial arena uh, that travels from planet to planet and the cast of characters who inhabit it. It's, as an introductory book goes, it's just fantastic. Max Dunbar's artwork has this sort of cartoonish edge. It means beautifully detailed. Um, and it sort of reminds me of like Thundercats and Dungeons and Dragons, the cartoons from the early 80s. And Zub's plot is just, it, it's intricate, multi-layered, and there's something happening on every single turn of the page when you think you know what's going on. Jim Zub pops up and surprises you and says, ta-da, that's not what's really happening. This is what's really happening. Um, yeah, the, the the main protagonist is this kid who's sort of grown up on the fringes of, of the gladiatorial arena after his father was murdered. A, a plot line which comes back towards the end of the book and is going to set up for volume two perfectly. Um, it's just wonderful. It's uh, I swear to God, it took me like an hour and a half to just flipped through this book then I went back and read it again a couple of hours later and then I read it again a couple of hours after that um I'm expecting huge things from this book uh the trade has been released via Dark Horse and you can get the individual issues on Comixology and <laughs> I recommend you do because it is just one of those books that you are going to say I'm glad I was there at the beginning because everybody's talking about it now but I was there when it all started it's one of them you're gonna love it that's Stone Star Volume 1, Fight or Flights by Jim Zub and Max Dunbar. Uh, the trade's published by Dark Horse, as I said, and the individual issues are available on Comicsology. So knock yourself out and enjoy yourselves. Moving swiftly on, we've got Skulldigger, Skeleton Boy. It's uh, another of Jeff Lemire's and Chonji Zonzik's um, entries into the world of Black Hammer. This is sort of the Black Hammer universe, sorry, Black Hammer universe's Batman. Um, Skeleton Boy being obviously his Robin and it's told from Skeleton Boy's perspective it's dark it's brutal and it is just superb it's it's a lot I mean when I say dark I mean this is bat next level Batman dark this is this goes beyond anything the Dark Knight I mean obviously you know uh, making all these Batman references but that's the easiest jump on point you can make but this is just uh, next level brutal and intricate and just, yeah. It's his, this is Jeff Lemire doing what Jeff Lemire does best, expanding his Black Hammer universe to the point where you just can't help but want more and more and more. Um, I think, if I'm honest, Skulldigger is my favourite character in the Hammer universe because the character there's there's so much going on in this guy's life there's so much backstory there's so much plot there's so much happening around him that you can't help but think where's this going next and it's going to go somewhere next it's going to be yeah 
like 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 Stone Star, this is one of those books that you've got to say you know you've got to pick it up now. You got to read it now. It's another Dark Horse book, and you want to be in there from the beginning because this is just superb. Um, Skull Digger and Skeleton Boy. It's written by the incredible Jeff Lemire and illustrated by Tonsi Zonzik. I think I'm saying that right. Apologies if I'm not. Um, and his artwork is just I I I can't even begin to just describe it. It's fantastic. Um, yeah. So. Hit up Dark Horse, type in Black Hammer and just immerse yourself in this wonderful, wonderful universe. So the Descendants have a new record out. Uh, Nathan Walnut on Epitaph Records. Um, <laughs> okay, I've got a confession to make. When you see filmage and you see Fat Mike talking about there's nobody in the world that prefers all the Descendants, yeah, I'm that guy he's talking about. I'm that, I am the aberration, the sort of exception to the rule. Or at least I was until I heard Ninth and Walnut, which, wow, okay, it might make me change one of my lifelong sort of opinions about music and bands. So um, I hate to admit it, but I might actually be becoming, I might actually, beca- I might actually be becoming a Descendants fan. Um, it's recorded by the original um, lineup from the seven, from seventy-seven through to eighty, uh, and you know I. So it's, it's Tony Lombardo, Milo Ackerman, Frank Novator, and Bill Stevenson, which, as everybody knows, is the original Descendants lineup. It's recorded in two time periods, and the songs are just incredibly fast, short, catchy, and oh my god, they've made a believer out of me with this record, and I can't, I can't even begin to <clears throat> take back like twenty years of, well, more than twenty years, nearly thirty years of being a Descendants denier and saying, "Oh, we're always better. Oh, we're always better." Apparently they weren't, because Ninth and Walnut has sort of um, made me reassess my opinion. It's, like I said, it's fast, it's catchy, it's just a Descendants. And for some reason, this record has really connected with me more than any of their others. Um, and I guess, yeah, I, 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 I wish I knew why. Um, it's just a fucking brilliant record, it really is. Uh, yep, that, that's out now. Um uh, I'd just like to apologise to Milo and Bill for saying all oh, about the Descendants for 30 odd years. Um, sorry, I get it. Um, <laughs> you were right, I was wrong. So, yeah. Ninth of Walnut, fantastic record. Grab it now. Right, let's have a little music, shall we? This is um, Semo Paramedics with a track called Necromancer from the uh, Undead of the BBC sessions. Mass movement and Semo Paramedics go back a ways, ways, ways. I think we've interviewed them like three times. Um, well, we interviewed him three times during the original run, um, and Sam was always a blast to talk to. I saw him maybe five or six times. Uh, <laughs> they are the original Zombie Core band, and they are always incredible live. They're back. Uh, they're recording a new record. They're playing like four or five shows, I believe, towards the end of the year. I wasn't fortunate enough to get a, be able to get a ticket, and even if I had, I probably wouldn't have been able to get the time off work if I could have, if I, you know, if I'd been able to go. Um, but if you can, you can get, can get a ticket. You'll catch me in Leeds or London towards the end of October. Um, anyway, like I said, incredible band, and this is the first of two tracks that we're going to be playing today. This is Necromancer by Senmore Paramedics.
That was uh, Send More Paramedics with Necromancer from their Undead of the BBC sessions, which you can download for free from their Bandcamp. Yes, you can. You can get it for free. However, if you're not a dick, you'll chuck a bit of money their way when you do download it because it's a name-your-own-price release. Go along, grab it, and just say, you know, I've been listening to Send More Paramedics again before their new record comes out. Oh, and if anybody's listening, Epitaph Fat, maybe you should think about signing SMP and get them on your roster. It'll be a wise move on your part. Anyway, moving on. Uh, Dark Horse have just released Hellboy Universal Essentials, which is by Mike Mignola and a bunch of his other Hellboy collaborators. It's sort of a collection of um, essential Hellboy stories and introductory Hellboy stories. Um, And it's great because, you know, it's Hellboy. What more do you want? It opens up with a wonderful pancake, which is hilariously funny. And it gets funnier every single time you read it. Um... It includes such luminaries as the corpse, the troll witch, the Baba Yaga, the ghoul or reflections of death and the poetry of worms, and the chain coffin. And it's worth buying just for those stories alone. I mean, I know you've probably already got the probably already got these tales in other volumes, or you know the individual issues they came out in. But please, you know, it's Mike Mignola, it's Hellboy. You know how good this guy is. You know how good the character is. You know how wonderful the universe is. So. You know, I, I I was sold when I saw it, and it was just wonderful to be able to dive back into some of these stories, which made me a fan in the first place. Um, I'm guessing you feel the same way, and if you do, it's out on Dark Horse now. That's Hellboy Universe Essentials, <laughs> and you know, spend a couple of hours with it, and just rem- just remind yourself how good Hellboy is, was, and always will be. Uh, I guess with the release of Black Widow, it was inevitable that there would be books to accompany it, and Panini have gone and re-released. Black Widow's Deadly Origin, and again, it's another knock-out-the-park story. It's Paul Cornell's take on the Black Widow's origin story and sort of her catching up with her past and sort of coming to terms with it um, and confronting the man who she thought was her um, mentor. And he turns out to be something rather different. It's just one of those tales that takes you straight into Marvel's espionage world and, you know, immerses you fully in it. Um... I love Paul Cornell's stuff anyway. I mean, I've, I've interviewed Paul Cornell about his, his work on Captain Britain and Doctor Who, um, and his work on Black Widow is just phenomenal. The artwork in it is, is, is mind-blowing. It's by Jean-Paul Leno, Leon, and uh, Tom Rainey, and they, again, just smashed out the park. But the added bonus with this book, the, one that, the thing that really makes it essential, is it includes the Widow's uh, debut appearance in Tales of Suspense 52, where it's a Stan Lee and Don Heck story. What more do you want? That's reason enough to buy it. You know, you could... Stan and, and, and Don's vision of who Natasha was and um, is very different to who Natasha would become. And it's interesting to see the evolution the character takes from her sort of late 60s, early 70s origin through to the point where she reaches now. Um, yeah, it's published by Panini. Um, Marvel and Panini, rather. It's uh, Black Widow, Deadly Origin... And you should be able to pick it up in WH Smith or any sort of news agency kind of shop. And if you can't, you can always order it off Amazon or straight from Panini's web store. But, you know, I, I recommend you get it because it was just fun to catch up with Natasha at the beginning and, and see how the characters developed over all this time. And, you know, if you don't know, it's worth finding out. Uh, yeah, Black Widow, Deadly Origin. It's well worth an afternoon of anyone's time. Let's have another track from um, some more paramedics, shall we, folks? Uh, again, it's from the Undead at the uh, BBC session. This is Blood Fever. 
the record's free to download from their Bandcamp, or if you're so inclined, you can chuck them a couple of quid um, for the pleasure of downloading it. Like uh, you know, I, I I really can't say enough great things about this band. Um, yeah, they're just fantastic. They really are. On live, they bring it, and <laughs> in the studio, they're just as good as as they are live. So, this is Blood Fever, and this is Send More Paramedics. Right, again, that was some more paramedics, and there you are, smashing it out of the park once more. Um, right, let's move on again. So, it's a good month when one Jim Zub book comes out. It's an even better month when two Jim Zub books come out. Essentially, it's, it's not really just a Jim Zub book. It's Jim Zub and Jody Hauser writing together with art by Diego Galindo. It's Stranger Things, Dungeons and & Dragons. And, to be honest, there's no way I was not going to... Um, <laughs> get this book because it just said Dungeons and Dragons and having played the game since 1983 um, I'm a lifelong fan and will do just about anything to get my hands on anything that says Dungeons and Dragons on the cover uh, it's it's a, it's one of those books that hits you in all the feels especially if you're a gamer because it identifies what makes Dungeons and Dragons the game that it is what attracts people to it and why it becomes such an essential part of your life why the freedom it gives the escapism the sort of 
um, root into friendship and camaraderie that you know as outsiders we don't usually find or it isn't easy for us to, to um, follow because we you know naturally we're, we're in the fact we like stranger things <laughs> stranger things da, 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 da. the fact we like um, the more fringe pursuits in life the fact that we're science fiction fans or we're, we're fantasy fans or we like to read rather than play sports it's always made it kind of difficult and Dungeons and Dragons provided an escape route for me and hundreds of thousands of people like me and this is the story of how the the four kids in, in Stranger Things found Dungeons and Dragons and the way it changed their lives um, Zub is a, is a lifelong gamer he's got to be and I think Jodie Hauser is too you know because they both know how important this game is and the way it changes people's lives and for that I can't thank him enough because it really did provide a sort of um, an opening into a world for me of the game that is and it just showed that I wasn't alone that people felt the same way about this game as I do um yeah that's Stranger Things Dungeons and Dragons it's uh published by Dark Horse and IDW um along with Netflix um it's just wonderful it's it's a yeah it captures exactly what this game meant to me and means to me in in uh, a graphic novel and a story that, that's incredibly familiar set in a universe is also familiar thanks to Netflix um, yeah Jim Zub's knocked out of the park again and Jodie Hauser's too and Diego Galindo's art <laughs> it's just someone else um, thank you Jim you know really mate thank you uh, <laughs> put a massive smile on my face that's Stranger Things Dungeons and Dragons published by Dark Horse Uh <laughs> You really need to read this book, especially if you've ever rolled a D20. So, yeah. Jim, thank you, brother. And finally, we've got the second volume of Donny Cates' run on Thor. It's Prey, um, in which the God of Thunder confronts his alter ego, Dr. Donald Blake. Um, wow, it's it's gone in all sorts of directions. I never thought it would go in this book. Um, it takes Thor down an incredibly dark road. Um, and explores what it means to be Donald Blake, an artificial construct that Odin created to give his son the chance to explore Midgard. Um, it's surprising, it's involving, you'll find yourself rooting for the wrong characters all the way through. Uh, it's just, yeah, it's nice to see someone picking up the ball that uh, J. Michael Straczynski dropped and just running with it and being able to sort of plug that gap and write Thor as Thor was meant to be written, the artworks by Aaron Kud and Nick Klein, and yeah, I can't recommend it enough. It's a Thor Prey. It's published by Marvel, and you should be able to pick it up off Amazon or any you know or in any great comic book shop. And in fact, I would recommend you go to a comic book shop rather than going to Amazon. Support small business. You know, COVID had a terrifying effect on everybody, um, and it's had a huge impact. A huge economic impact on small businesses so if you do have a local comic shop pop in there and order Thor pray um, from them pick it up from them because you know the money will be going to a great place anyway that's probably about it for me this time uh, I wanted to play out with an old interview I did with Mike Gitter uh, it's about his uh, about Triple X the fan scene he used to do in Boston years and years and years ago uh, about five maybe six years ago Bridge Nine compiled a book uh, called Triple X. It's a massive coffee table book. 
and it's all of Gitter's best interviews and features from his zine days. Um, and Earth Island Books are possibly going to republish it in a sort of expanded edition, so it's going to be more user-friendly. It's going to be smaller, um, but have exactly the same content, so you can hit the train and hit public transport with it and not have to worry about carrying it around in a rucksack. So, yeah, this is uh, Gitter talking about Triple X. Until next time, ta-ta! How are you, sir? Alright? Yeah, no complaints. I'm, I'm, I'm sitting in a hotel room, or actually a hotel lobby in Seattle. <laughs> well, sorry for some, I'm stuck in dreary Wales, mate, so there we go. So, would you like to introduce yourself and tell uh, the folks out there a little bit about yourself? Um, sure. I mean, my name's, my name's Mike Gitter. Uh, Uh, I, I was, I'm from, I'm from Boston, Massachusetts, well, I'm from the Boston, outside of Boston, um, and I was, it, basically, rolled into this, rolled into this book, right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay. So, so from 1983 to 1988, I, uh, self-published and self-released a fan called Triple X, um, and, you know, which, which I think was, was, was firmly a great second-generation um, hardcore camping. Um, you know, and, and it, was, it, was, it was something that, you know, I was, I was lucky enough to be in the right place at the right time in a great scene, you know, in a great city in a great scene um, where the roadmaps had already sort of been laid out. Right. Where we already had, you know, we already had great bands. We already had, you know, we already had a whole a number of venues. Um, we already had great venues in our town as well. You know, we had Force Exposure, we had Smash, um, we had my friend Al Quint's uh, Suburban Punk. And, you know, and, 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 and that really provided the impetus, you know, and the inspiration um, to say, okay, I can be a part of this. I can, you know, I, um, my, voice, my voice can be, you know, can be part of this, this chorus, which is, res- you know, which, which is resonating with me. Right. In, in such a sort of unshakable manner, um, you know. I mean, I, I grew up where I grew up was two towns over from where SSD Control um, came from. Okay. And I'm from a town called Marblehead. Right. And, you know, Marblehead's also, also you know, the same. It's, it's an old Yankee. It's an old Yankee town. Um, and it's also the place where Jake Phelps, um, who was one of the original Boston Crew guys, who's now the editor of Thrasher. Right. Came from uh, Andy Strahan from DYS came from there. Tony Perez from Last Rights um, was from there as well. And it was it was just a, it was a skate spot for the guys you know for the guys from SSD. Right. Um, and, and 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 their pals and their crew. Um, and you know when I heard you know when I heard when I heard the, the kids had to say. Um, you know, to, 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 to me, it was it was a sound it was a sound of complete liberation. Right. It was it was you could a here's here's music. You know, and I, I already sort of had gone through the you know Devo to the Dead Kennedys to Black Flag. Right. Um, evolution because we had we had also living in Boston we had phenomenal college radio. 
um, I mean, you know, Boston being Boston being a college town. Yeah. Um, you have you have like you know, ten great college radio stations, all of which have dedicated, you know, talking hardcore shows. Um, but why why have the kids will have their say? I mean, to me, it was completely the sound of, sound of um, you know, it was just a revelation because because you know, musically, well, okay. Ideologically, Hero's Band felt the way I felt. They had the same anger at the world that I had. Right. Um, you know, that which, which every, you know, 14, 15 year old kid should have. Um, and then, you know, here, here, was, here was a band that was, that was so undeniable and also were putting out their own records, um, putting on their own shows, organizing their own scene, um, and just, just, you know, being. I mean, you, you have to you have to give Al Barrell an immense immense amount of credit for for create really you know creating and organizing you know the, the early Boston hardcore scene. Right. Um, so oh yeah, you know, I was totally inspired by that, and you know put together put together my own. You know, I was like I was like, hey, I'm probably not coordinated enough to be in the band yet. <laughs> um, and I was like, well, I'm, I, you know, I, I'm a pretty good writer and stuff. And literally, I did put together the first issue of Well, actually, in 1982, I, I did a, a, a small thing called Suburban Yiddish. Right. Uh, with, with another guy from Marblehead named Mark Vinseco, who I think his, 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 probably his hardcore claim to fame was he was almost the, uh, the replacement singer of Siege. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Um, later. Um, but I did a zine called Suburban Mucus, which is, which is actually, if you get the pre-order to the Triple X book, yeah. we reprinted, we, we did a separate book where we reprinted all three issues of those. Okay. And I would, I would say it's kind of a cute, like, it's kind of a cute sort of document of watching a kid go from, you know, sort of get up from the sidelines and sort of figure it out. Right. Um, and yeah, it, was, it was also important for somebody discovering, like just discovering a life in music. So, um, so you know, the, 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 come 1983, um, I wanted, I, I, you know, the thing was petering out. Um, I loved the zine. I, I loved having a zine. I loved writing it. I loved you know distributing it. Um, and in. The weekend, I, I, I spied the weekend of, first weekend in June of 1983, there was a Dead Kennedy show in Waltham, Mass, and a minor threat show um, at the Channel in Boston. I was like, I'm going to get my first issue done done for that, for that uh, time. Right. And got, got, you know, got hastily uh, got together, and, you know, that first that first weekend, June of '83, Triple X was born. Funny story. At that um, at that Waltham Dead Kennedy show, uh, a young man from uh, Haver Haverhill, Max, bought a copy of it from me. I didn't I didn't know this at the time, and but it was Rob Zombie. Oh, okay. Who would eventually take out ads? Would eventually take out ads Triple X. You know, as Zombie sort of put out, you know, as Zombie sort of started up and put out their own records, and you know, that right. basically sound, sounded like like Void. Yeah. Um. You know, so it was, it was you know, again, 
that was just awesome. The Boston's just such a great like place to sort of come up in and be a be a receiving part of. I mean, we were lucky. We had like you know eight or nine great bands, right? And, and not just okay bands, but like like distinct, unique, um, really just like like on their own kind of amazing. Jerry's kids. Jerry's kids. Gangrene. Right. Um, negative effects. Mission of, Bur- Mission of Burma, who were obviously part of the part of the older scene. Right. Um, and it was you know it was an inspiring time. It was an inspiring place. Uh, the roadmap had you know the, like 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 I always say you know we were firmly second generation. Uh, the roadmap had already been laid out. Yeah. The bands were already touring. Uh, venues had been established. It, it wasn't. It wasn't sort of the scrounge around getting the van era. Um, and yeah, it was. It was just. It was. It was a fantastic time to sort of be be a young person discovering, you know, life and discovering music and making their voice heard. Okay, so I feel like. So carry on, Mike. I just like to know about me. <laughs> I guess you've covered like the first four or five of my questions anyway <laughs> with that. So, um, so whose idea was it to put out the new book? Was it yours or was it Chris's or was it a combination? Okay, well, well here, here, the, 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 the book is about a 10-year-old idea. Right. Because you know, Triple, Triple X ended in 1988. Yeah. Um, and I, I was I got to bed because, I mean, around that point, I was writing. I was writing for other magazines. I was writing for Thrasher. Um, I was writing for Correct, uh, Rip. Um, eventually, you know, eventually ended up writing for Rolling Stone and and Spin and segue that into what's been now a twenty three year career in the music business, working for record companies. Right. Um. But so the book, you know, the thing ended in nineteen eighty eight. Um. Probably about ten years ago, Chris. You know, Chris was Chris. Who I've always had, you know, I've, I've always known and always had respect for, and always just thought was, just, you know, super stand up, super ethical, um, super involved guy. Right. Um, approached me about doing doing a book. It was right after the uh, Schism book had come out. Okay. And I said, and I was like, yeah, okay, cool. And I sent him, I sent him all twenty issues of Triple X to cruise. Um. He went through, you know, we sort of went through them, we sort of knocked around some ideas. Um, you know, the big, the big question was, do we want to do a, a collection of all 20 issues? Or do we want to do a greatest hits? My a greatest hits is sort of the, you know, all 20 issues. Right. And my, my general feeling was like, man, nobody should have to read this much sort of uninformed, <laughs> uninformed naive, and, 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 and primitive writing. Okay. Uh, and um, apparently, apparently it's called. Uh, apparently it's. Uh, Christian said, "No, it's, it's it's not that. It's not that. It's just it's just it's earnest, it's truthful." Right. So I'll, I'll take that. Um, we decided on, on sort of the, a greatest hit of you know, fifty or sixty articles. Or interviews, uh, a lot of reviews, um, you know, some scene reports, some you know, some additional pictures, maybe some additional commentary. Right. Um, and and then Chris Chris ran into some some issues with with um, a book you know a book he was promoting at the time, the Schism book. Um, so we kind of put the whole thing on ice for a couple of years. Okay. 
Um, there were a couple of there were a couple of false starts. Um, you know, Chris sort of like wasn't you know just couldn't do it for a while. I was approached by Revelation, who are you know great great friends, um, a great company, and it, it did, you know we start we started talking about it there. It didn't quite work out. Um, mostly because I I needed a partner, I needed a collaborator on the book, particularly in a graphic sense. Right. And you know, so so it, it just kind of petered out. Um. Then I don't know. It was probably it was probably about two thousand. I want to say it was about two thousand twelve or thirteen. Um, I was literally looking at you know you know looking at like a a, a pile of, of you know hundreds of pictures of, of pictures, um, all twenty issues of the zine. You know, tons of flyers, tons of stickers, just tons of sort of ephemera that you know. I was like, I that I had collected over, over time. And I was like, so this book, you know, I was, I was like, you know what? I would, I would hate for this stuff just to sit in boxes. Right. Uh, so I called, so I called Chris. And I was like, hey, you want, you want to start, you want to start doing this, you know? And at that point, he was like, against all better judgment, um, was kind of basically said, sure. Um. And the initial the initial idea was let's you know it'll be a hundred it'll be like a hundred forty hundred fifty pages it'll take six or seven months months to put together no big deal four years four years and three hundred pages later <laughs> almost three hundred pages later um, you know we we we, we, found our, we found ourselves finishing up the uh, the triple X nineteen eighty nineteen eighty um, hardcore and poppy eighties book. Right. <laughs> with new company record. <laughs> so it's been a compilation record. It's been a heck of a journey then, yeah. Yeah, it was. It, it, for me, it was, it was super gratifying. Um, yeah, I mean, I've never, I've never not been involved with this music. I've been, right. Like, like, like all of us who've been involved, you know, for a long time, I've, I've sort of dipped in and out of it to varying degrees. Yeah, but it's like the old saying. It's like the old saying is, "Once a hardcore kid, always a hardcore kid. It never goes away. It's always in our blood." Absolutely, absolutely. I'm going to. It's just, it's just that uh, you know, it's it's it, it's our culture. It's our tribe. Yeah. Uh, it's our ethic. It's our ideology. It's the way. It's the way we approach our business. Right. Um, you know, if, if you think about like, you know, the the whole notion of of of. of DIY was the way, you know, companies like Nike and, and Amazon were started. Right. Um, you know, so, it, and, and to me, this is something I, I've tried to sort of address in, in the book as well. Um, you know, the, the, that period, that period of time is probably one of the most impactful and uh, important periods in, 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 in just underground subculture or none. Right. Um, I think that, you know, we, we it, to, to me, you know, it, it's really that, it, it's really been the butterfly, it's been a butterfly effect of, of, of you know, sort of, of, of ethic. Right. Um, and, you know, you can feel the trickle option now, which is interesting because, I mean, that's kind of where the book went. 
Um, as time went on, and as I collected, you know, more more commentary, um, as I as I collected more photographs, as I collected more content for the book, right, it became a different book. Um, and much much actually much of my you know. Right, because I was going to ask you, you, you re-interviewed a lot of people for the book, didn't you? And, uh, you know, uh, as, a, as an almost comparative viewpoint, so how they were then and how they are now. So h- how do you choose who to speak to again? Uh, who, wants, who wants to talk? <laughs> you know, who, 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 who from the old gang? Right. Who from the old gang is, you know, wants, wants it. And it was, it was great because for the most part, almost everybody I reached out to, um, responded. Right. Um, th- there were people like like Henry Rollins who literally took ninety minutes to get back to me with a quote. Right. Okay. Uh, you know, like Lily. Hey, Henry. I'm doing. You know, I I, I know Henry from Black Flag and from you know, the early days of the Rollins. Yeah. yeah. Um. Hey, Henry. I'm doing this. Um. Can you give me a quote? I'd love you to be a part of it. And literally ninety minutes later, he he, and he was like, "Yeah, can you send me the interview?" Cool. Ten minutes later, I got a quote. I got a quote back. Um, Ian Mackay, you know, instantly. Right. Gave me a fantastic interview about like '80s, the culture of '80s fan things. Right. Um, which I, which I, which I think was, was fun and illuminating, and you know, not typical stuff he discusses. Um, you know, and and it was it was literally you know, in, in the worst, you know, some people took a little bit while a little while to track down. Uh huh. Um, you know, there were people like, say, well, there were people who you heard, like, this person didn't like to do interviews, or this person, you know, had a job and, and was on, you know, like, like, had put that portion of their life, life aside. Okay. Um, or just didn't want to talk about it. And by and large, I felt that most people were, were very open and very sort of, you know, if, if not excited, interested in, interested in sort of rehashing that part of their lives. Right. I mean, it was a genuine thrill. People like Bubba, Bubba Dupree from Void coming to my office um, and, and talking about the unreleased second Void record. Uh, people like, like, like Rick Jones from Jerry's Kids uh, getting on the phone for, for like you know, two, three hours. Right. Reminiscing and giving, giving me a really insightful view in, in, into probably the best and most underappreciated band from the Boston scene. Jer- um, yeah, Jerry's Kids were just... That, that first album, Is This My World, is, is just a definitive album, as far as I'm, you know, as far as I'm concerned. Anyway, so, sorry. It's funny, because in some ways, Jerry's Kids became the band, the band of the book. Right. Um, you know, just, just there's two, there's two interviews of them. Uh, there's a picture, actually, the cover is a picture of Chris Doherty. Um, okay, Mr. Gangrene as well. Yeah, yeah, but he was, you know, he was all... Who was in Gangrene, Stranglehold, and Two Skates. Right. Um, but like, literally, the cover of the book is a picture of him taken at a show in January 1984 that was put on that was put on by Steve Racine from Slapshot. Okay. Or Steve, Steve Racine, who would, who would eventually start Slapshot. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, things like that. I mean, there were definitely, there were definitely people who took a... I'm glad the book took as long as it did. Okay. Um, because, because, you know, some people just take a while to hunt down. And, you know, ironically, you know, there'll be people like, like my old pal Reed Mullen, right? 
Okay. After my time, see, see when COC comes through. We hung when, when uh, Teenage Time Killers did their one show in Los Angeles. We hung, but actually narrowing down. Um, you know, a, a couple hours to be on the phone. Just took a while. Right. And you know, I, I mean, eventually we did. The interview is a fantastic, you know, snapshot of what the early, you know, the early hardcore scene was like in a smaller in a smaller town like Raleigh. Um, you know, and it's, some people are just also were at just different points in their lives, and you know, wanted to talk or didn't want to talk. You know, I it took a while for to get. Um, Right. Um, who, I mean, I, I toured with Uniform Choice on their first tour, and, and he and his, his family are, are still, you know, friends of mine. Yeah. But just in terms of, like, getting it together and, and, like, narrowing down those, like, two or three hours to just sit and talk, um, it was, you know, it was just every, every conversation that they did book was worth it, and, um, you know, in, in many ways, personally brought me full circle. Right. Um, but, what, but, but what really emerged, you know, through all this, what really emerged was this realization that that, that second, and, and I think this this is the sort of the thread that the thread that runs throughout the book. Realization that that second generation, you know, or, or, or that that time frame of 1983 to 88, right was in many ways just as influential and important, if not more so, um, than, than, you know, what's commonly thought of as, like, you know, the, the 80 to 83 golden age of hardcore. See, I, see I, would, I would agree with you and say that 80, more like 83 to 89 was the golden age of hardcore, because that, that's, that's my generational thing. I think it might be a generational thing in that when you come into the scene, when you become a part of it, that becomes your golden age. Soul searching, right? Um, it was it was really where you know bands bands you know guys who started bands you know became actual musicians. Um, you know where you where you had people like the Descendants and Dave Perner from Soul Asylum and Bob Mould, right? And you, you know Jay Maskus and Lou Barlow from Deep Blue and starting Dinosaur Junior. Um, become you know or dinosaur at the time, right. becoming real, you know, real songwriters. And it was an era where, you know, you saw black, you know, guys like Black Flag do a total 180, slow down, uh, and, and, and in turn go influence bands like the Melvins, who would, would go and go in turn influence Nirvana. Right. Um, and and, and the, the mainstream was changed. It was an era where, oh, here's the, here's the punk metal crossover. Well, all of a sudden, you know, to me, in many regards, metal is now more DIY than, or as, as DIY as probably most punk is now. Right. Um, you know, it was, it, it, you know, and, and, and also is the era where you start to see, oh, wait a second, what, you see the tangential bands like, oh, the Buffalo Surfers, oh, the Flaming Lips. Um, here are bands that are coming off the back of the underground, who went on to have these incredible, you know, incredible sort of mainstream shaping careers. Right. So, 
and, and you know, it, 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 yes, it, yes, it was, you know, yes, it was an era where, you know, certain, like you couldn't necessarily count on some that to, you know, to give you exactly what you wanted record to record. Right. And there's some phenomenal examples of that, like all Detroitian, um, you know, bands who just had a real artistic, you know, who had a real artistic drive. Right. But, but it was such a powerful era of like experimentation, um, of just where you know, just where, where things where things changed, and, and I think you can you can still feel that today. You know, it was the era where you got some really sort of oversized characters, you know, we, 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 where, where people like, like Henry and Glenn um, were no longer just the singers, you know, just, okay, it's, it's the singer from Black Flag or it's the singer from Mr. Cool Sam Hain. Right. But they became real personalities in their, in their own right. Because they found themselves um, by doing this, I guess, you know, and you... you, you yeah. Pe- yeah. yeah. So... Enough people sort of were like, okay, that dude's important. <laughs> And crossover as well. And, yeah. Yeah, oh, def- definitely the crossover. Um, but even, even, you know, the era where, you know, you had, you had, you had bands, you know, like, you know, even, even though Metallica was never, was never, you could never say that they were, they were punk rooted. Right. Um, they saw certainly true, you know, influence, um, from bands, you know, from bands like Discharge, from bands like The Misfits, right? Um, as much as, as much as they drew, drew them from the way of British heavy metal and, and all that, um, so, so it was, it was it, it's sort of it's sort of this wonderful jumble of like ambition, ideas, and just reaching, you know, young people just reaching towards it, fumbling and reaching and succeeding. I, mean, I, I want to ask you as well about the record that, that, that's accompanied the album. How did you choose the bands that were going to appear on there? And, or did they approach you? Did you approach them? And, you know, the, the song choices, the cover choices, was that your idea or their ideas? Were they, were they given free reign? It was, it, was, it was a matter of, like, who's in. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, who, 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 wants, who wants to be a part of this? Um, you know, and, and you know, I, I reached out to my friend. Okay.
the classic rec, you know, the classic record is the classic song. Um, the experience, it's still a lot, you know, these songs are still alive. And they matter as much now as they did then. And I feel like, you know, so it was sort of like, how do we, what would be the, what would be the best way of sort of, in gen, you know, basically engendering ourselves to um, younger people. Right. You know, and giving, giving, you know, just sort of generationally passing on, you know, if, 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 if I may be so bold or, or pretentious, um, you know, it's sort of carrying on the experience. Right, but And the idea was, okay, let, let's not just, you know, let's have a compilation, cool, let's have a compilation, and also the other, the other thing is licensing, um, licensing original songs would just be, would just kind of be like, like a business affairs nightmare. <laughs> okay. Um, and hey, let's 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 do a compilation of current bands, you know, couple currently active bands, covering songs from um from, from that era, right. or you know, really the eighties in general. Um, so the first the first band I approached was um was was Stripe, right? Um, living living in Los Angeles, you know, being you know having having people come up as a band, and also just, you know Andrews Andrews is a very good friend, and actually all those guys. You know, Chad, Rick are all really good friends of mine, right. and they're, they they've been important to you know maintaining the scene um, or maintaining the hardcore in Southern California. Uh-huh. Um, you know, since the early nineties, and they say, "Hey, are, are, would you guys be interested in doing this?" They're like, "Yep," <laughs> and we're, we want to cover Void, and I was like, "Great!" And their version. So they went to Paul Miner's studio um, about three years ago uh-huh. and recorded an amazing version of Who Are You? Um, and that, you know, that was followed, that was literally followed by my, my, my old friend, Dana Mahoney. It's done dying, yeah? Done dying. Yeah. They did, a, they did a great government issue cover. Um, and, you know, it, it, like, I was, I was really, I was really blessed by some of the people who sort of came in and became involved. Um, I reached out, you know, I also wanted, I also wanted to have, have legs beyond our, you know, beyond the hardcore scene. Right. Um, and, like, okay, who, you know, who are some kindred souls who exist, you know, tend to be, who exist, you know, parallel to it, but also are, are fundamental, you know, are fundamentally, like, at least of, of, of you know, fundamentally it's important to. Right. Uh, I've worked with Kills. I worked. Oh, I signed and worked with Kills Switch Engage um, at, at Roadrunner for many years. And Jesse Leach, if everyone was a true believer, it's Jesse Leach. Right. And I said, Hey, hey Jesse. You know, and Jesse was doing some solo stuff at that point. I said, Hey, do you want to do you want to tackle a song or two? Um, you know, sort of like as you've been doing your 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 solo stuff, which is more kind of like dub based. So he did this. He did this version of um, a Salad Day. That I think it's just great um, and you know that was that was a blast um, you know let live who you know are now sadly uh, sadly defunct right um, you know, had, 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 was was playing a version of black flags fix me and eventually you know it, it, it took it took it took about a year and a half <laughs> 
tracking from them tracking the music to Jason finishing the vocals. Right. But uh, it's 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 a great version of the song, and it's it's a fantastic. Um, you know, Jason's performance on that song is 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 as good as any Black Flag singers. Right. Um, by the way, his his new, his new band, The Fever, is probably going to change the world. That, it's the most exciting, it's the most exciting new band I've seen in, in, in years. Okay. Um, let me see who else. Who else is great? You know, um, you know, Voivod. Voivod had had was was playing um, a version of the Croydon's Man in the Trees. Yeah. And I, I asked. I asked. Um, you know, if they had a recorded version of it. And as a large, there was there was a, there was a version that was owned by. Social media, oh, okay. where, I happen, where I happen to work. <laughs> so, I, so, so social media was social media was very kind to um, license the track to us. Yeah. Um, and it's a track that's, that's barely been, that's barely been heard. It's a live version of Road Burn, um, right. with Danny Danny Kavinsky, the uh, Decorative singer. Ooh. And Boy are old friends, and, and to me, one of the most breathtaking bands of, of you know. The past thirty years, yeah. Um, so, you know, Fu Manchu. Um, I, I reached out to the Fu Manchu guys, um, who you know had covered SSD, you know, several years ago. Right. Uh, they had a cover of the Circle Jerks when the shit hit the fan. Right. Which they had recorded. I don't know, probably. I want to say it's probably at least ten years old, but it was just never. It's it never been heard, and it's classic Fu Manchu. So they they mix that and you know it, it, it's it's really a highlight. But I mean, there's there's ninety. I mean, and there, were, and there were other bands who had existing had existing but rare tracks. Um, American Nightmare had done a, a cover of the Chromatics. It's the the limit for I believe a seven inch. Um, you know, Walter Walter Schreibel's, um has classic cover of Society Suffers by Agnostic Front. Right. Which I thought, which, which I loved, because it was it's just a sharp, it's such, it's such a sharp contrast and such a, such a like, great reinterpretation of the song. Um, and there there were fantastic new recordings. Um, Shy Halud did a great version of Raw Power by Raw Power. Um, Bucky Payne did a great version of Religious Wars um, by the Subhumans. Yeah. Um, um, even, even like smaller bands, like like uh, there's you know a band from Los Angeles called Aegis. Right. Did, did this version? Did this version of uh, Hungry Child by C.O.C., which is actually heavier and just way more twisted than, than the original. Right. Like, like, they basically they basically took the notion took the original and like the, like like the best of bands on on the comp I think brought their you know brought their musical stamps to it. Right. Um, so I'm, I'm, you know, I'm super happy with that. And then I reached out to my old pal Brian Walsby to do some artwork for it. Uh huh. And he just did this phenomenal take, phenomenal take on the um, the Kids Will Have Their Say album cover. See, Brian's artwork's incredible, anyway. You know, it's just yeah. Brian's artwork is is just indicative of the, of the time of the period, and it's just it's still incredible now. Yeah. You know. Yeah, and and, and Brian, you know, and. and and again, you know, like the best sort of in, in the spirit of this, Brian's remained, you know, remained friends throughout the years. Right. Um, you know, he currently, you know, I mean, obviously he's been he's been playing music for years. Like most people don't realize you actually played with Brian Adams. 
Yeah, yeah. I, 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 that always makes me laugh when I think about him doing that. Yeah, and in addition to the double negative, um, but he tours with the Melvins, and, yeah. you know, I see him every time he, you know, I try to see him every time he comes through town. And it's just, you know, it, it, it's, again, it's a lot of, a lot of the, 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 you know, personally for me, a lot of this book, you know, a lot of the satisfaction I had about doing this book was sort of just the connection to people, you know, the, the connection, I think, to people. Right. And how, how we, how we influence and affect each other. And, um, you know, how, how, how we're still, you know, how, how this, this, how this all lives on. Right. Um, and I think that that's, you know, again, it's, it's not, you know, it's not dead. Uh, it's not history. Um, it, it may be, you know, you, you can't, you can't necessarily, you can't live in it. No. Photographers. 
Right. Well, Boston, I should say Boston music photographers. Um, you know, who, who's sort of been a bit, who was a bit of a unicorn for, uh, for, for a few years. He reemerged, um, you know, he reemerged with, with Apollo stuff. Um, J.J. Galton, um, who was a friend of mine for years, um, and owns a really great venue in, in the Boston area called Once. Um, she re- she reemerged with stuff I've never seen before. So I mean, it was, it was a great, like, sort of cumulative, you know, cumulative effort. And it was it was insane how, the, like, in the last, you know, probably six seven months we were working on this, um, how it really came together and really really took took a jump. I mean. In many ways, I'm very glad it, it, it didn't come out a year and a half after we, we first talked about it. Right, it's taken it's taken um, so much longer to do because it's, it's given you the time to really go over everything and, and put it put together the, the book you wanted it to be. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it's, it's got a little bit of a kitchen sink aspect, aspect to it, but it, it's very dense. Right. Um, but I'm... I'm, I'm, I'm beyond happy with it. I, again, I can't stress enough, you know, the work that, the work and, and, and the friendship that um, Chris Wren put into it as well. So, do you think this book completes the Triple X journey or is it the start of a, of, of a second, of, of, a, of a new beginning? I mean, I mean, to, to me, it's, it's like it, <laughs> the sleeping giant awakens. <laughs> you know, to me, to me, it's kind of like, it never, the, the ethic never, for, for me personally, the ethic and the output never, never ended. It messed itself in different ways. Right. Um, like I said, you know, I, I've been lucky enough to be a journalist um, and, and make a, in, the, in the early 90s, make a living at that. I've been lucky enough to have worked, um, to have been, you know, to, and still be um, an A&R person. Right. Um, working, you know, signing and, and cultivating Sort of include some 
it was actually it was actually sponsored out of a recent festival um, in Southern California called It's Not Dead. Right. Um, so we included aspects aspects of, of the book that were relevant to that festival, like Down by Law was playing, so we included Dag Nasty in review. Yeah. Um, you know, Kevin Seconds was playing, so we included the Seven Second stuff. Um, Channel Three was playing, we included the Channel Three interview. Um, and you know, we sort of made it relevant to that and, and included a, a preview of the, a preview of the book, which included a, um, this really amazing uh, flexi, which had this really amazing cover of. Are you familiar with um? It was a, a classic New York hardcore flyer um, uh, for a crucifix agnostic front show. I know the one you mean. Um, okay, it, 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 as I found out, it was, it was actually this, like designed by Todd Hughes. Right. Who's in, who's in, by the way, who's in a really amazing new band called Firebird. Oh, uh, oh, they are, they are just someone else. So this way, old Joseph I from, you filled in with the bad brains. Yeah, fucking great. Oh, they are, they are just, ugh, yeah. I mean, he's, he's playing in Bloodcott as well, and that's, they're like, they just released the record that Cromax should have released in 87, you know? Yeah. Um, but anyway, so, so Nomads, yeah, I, I reached out to the Nomads guys, because I also wanted to have some more younger and, and more, you know, right. kind of younger and, and, and less sort of classic bands. Um, and Mike from, Mike from Nomads literally was like, oh, I'll cover the flyer. I was like, okay. <sighs> so they go, they go in and bust out this cover of of a crucifix song into Agnostic Front to Eliminator. Right. And it's just ferocious and it's really one of the highlights of the comp. Right. So we included a flexi of that uh, with, with, with the previous scene as well. Um, and, you know, it, 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 it's just a cool piece just, just you know, help start the ball rolling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, ter in terms of, like, how we think about other projects, yeah. Um... You know, it, 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 it's it's you know, I think it's I think it's a great way of connecting connecting, you know not not so much history but people. Um, and keeping things keeping things alive that that you know, shouldn't shouldn't be relegated, you know, shouldn't sort of fade away or be relegated to history. Right. Um, you know, there there's obviously there's some photographers who you know, let's put let, let's put together a hundred and twenty page photo book. Um you know, let's, let's sort of, it, it's not sort of, we're, we're not, you know, we don't want to sort of, you know, we want to do things that are sort of relevant, you know, that are sort of relevant and I think are exciting and, and sort of in a, in a vibrant way, you know, keep, keep the, the, the spirit and the, the ethic and the music. Um, and just, you know, a, a lot of people's Hard work alive. I Mike, I think, brother, you have covered everything I had to ask you and more. <laughs> yeah. I, so. I, 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 I'm, I'm literally like drinking my morning coffee <laughs> and just got out of the gym and I'm like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, is there anything you'd like to add? Any last comments? Um, just, hey, thank you for doing this. Again, you know. It's been an absolute pleasure, man. It's my absolute pleasure. Oh, it's it's my pleasure too. And anytime you get me, get, give give me, you know, 
45 minutes to spout off. I'll pull them up. <laughs> um, and again, you know, I'm, I'm, looking, I'm looking forward to you, to you seeing the book and going, Oh my god! I, I I can't wait to see it. Literally, I am I am I'm already nagging the PR about it. I need to see the book. I need to see the book. I need to see the book. Oh, it's only digital. I need to see the book. I need to see the book. You know, I need to hold this book in my hands and just just read it. You know? Yeah, it's me too. Me too. Um, it's you know it was it was a, it was a labor of love and you know just just kind of meant met that spirit. Right. And um, you know, I hope that. desire to do something better and be better. Yeah, I mean, I mean, look, to quote something yet, quote something yet, yep. make, an effort, show your, make an effort, show your hard work. Indeed. Mike, it's been an absolute pleasure, brother. Dude, thank you so much, and um, please get in touch.